It's great to be here at Lena Valley. But I recognise uh, for many it's been a disturbing week or a few weeks as we see what's unfolding in the Middle East, as we're still trying to process what's happening uh, between Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, in the background, there's a whole lot of issues still in Myanmar. And if you look around the world, there are all kinds of questions. Closer to home, one of the great challenges in Hobart is a lot of people who just simply don't have anywhere to live. And uh, they're talking about a cost of living crisis as though it's something we have to have to fix the economy. But what mostly that mostly means is that it's the, the weakest members, the, the, the poorest members of our community who are going to suffer the most. So when the world is broken, what do you do? When you see things happening that shouldn't be happening, what do you do? One of the most important questions for followers of Jesus is what does it mean to be agents of Jesus in a, in a broken world? How can we actually make a difference in a broken world? As we, I really encourage you to have your Bibles handy as we look at Matthew chapter 21. And I, I want to talk about three things that followers of Jesus have to have in mind and in view in order to change the world. To be agents of Jesus' love in a broken and hurting world. But to understand this context... We come to the story that Renata has just read out and uh, Jesus has just done two things. We tend to, being Western people, we tend to focus on Jesus' teaching, his words. But he's just done two things that are prophetic. He has just chosen, very intentionally, to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilling the words of Zechariah. And then... He's gone to the temple and turfed out the money changers, plaited a whip and accused the people who were responsible of the temple for turning it into a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer. He's stepped into one of the most complex questions Israel faced and the most complex question that humanity has ever faced. What does it mean to connect with the God of the universe? Israel had an answer to that. The answer was the temple. And Jesus has come and condemned the way the temple is operating through his actions. And now he does something a little weird. He says he was hungry. Uh, and so he's strolling with the disciples back towards the temple in the morning. Uh, he's not going to make a triumphal entry this time. He's just going to turn up. But he goes past a fig tree. And he thinks, oh, I wouldn't mind some breakfast. 
Now, one of the things to understand about that fig tree is a fig tree doesn't bear leaves until it's born fruit. A fig tree doesn't bear leaves until it's born fruit. So kind of the fig tree is standing there saying, I'm full of fruit. And as Jesus gets there, he says, there is no fruit. And so he curses the fig tree. So what's going on there? Is Jesus having a tantrum because he's not getting his breakfast? Uh, I want to suggest, and almost every Bible scholar I've read would want to suggest that Jesus is doing a third prophetic action. In the Old Testament, we read that Israel is like a fig tree in Hosea. And Jesus has just condemned Israel and that the leaders of Israel for turning the temple, which is meant to be the place where heaven and earth intersect, for turning that into a place of self-interest and forgetting that the temple is meant to be about relationship with God. Jesus is enacting a judgment on Israel. There's a number of Old Testament references you'll find in your notes, but Jesus himself uh, in Matthew 21 at the end of this chapter, we'll come to it, we're not, not quite there yet, we'll come to it in a few weeks, but he says... Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. Jesus' main argument with the people of Israel in that moment was that they weren't producing the fruit of the kingdom of God. So that's the prophetic action he's enacting. And, and we'll be talking more about in that in the coming weeks as he, as basically this story, he quotes Psalm 118, as we said last week, and he's going to quote Psalm 118 again at the end of this chapter. And usually when you see something at, at the start and then the end of thing, then that, in the Bible that, what that means is that that's a theme. In, that has been established. They call it an, an inclusio. But, so we're going to come back and talk about Jesus' relationship with Israel and, and what all that means uh, in coming weeks. But uh, one of the, th the other things that comes through here and is a theme right the way through the Bible and something that Jesus has warned his disciples about in the Sermon on the Mount is that we too need to bear fruit. He actually warns people against those who have all the right words but whose lives don't match what the words are. In Matthew 7, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, 
by their fruit, you'll recognise them. It's important to get onto this because this is a major theme in the New Testament. The, the metaphor of fruit is a major theme in the New Testament. In fact, it's mentioned 12 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. It's mentioned four times in Mark, nine times in Luke, five times in John, and used in Romans twice, Ephesians twice, Philippians twice, Colossians twice. In, it's used in 2 Thessalonians, Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation twice. So this is a, the idea that somehow our lives are meant to bear fruit is not a once-off statement. It's pretty clear this is a, a theme that the New Testament church understood about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And probably the, the most famous description of fruit uh, is in the fruits of the Spirit, which every uh, Sunday school kid learns. In Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of, spirit, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. Uh, I, in my, my memory, it's for patience, but in the NIV, it says forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So, the starting question for how we change the world is how you're going at bearing fruit. How are you going at bearing fruit? One of the things we have to watch about, we live in a, a, a technical society and we like the technical answers for things. And so we like the five things you need to do in order to have a happy family or the seven things you need to do in order to be fit and healthy. Or, and so we, we look for techniques. What Jesus is saying is it's just not about techniques. One of the things that behavioural psychology shows us is your behaviour comes out of who you are. One of the disturbing things about being a parent is that you have all your right... Play, you read all the books about how to be a good dad, uh, but you still pass on to your kids all your bad habits. And all the things that somehow they mean... To, all the things you don't want to pass on to them, they do manage to pick up from you. Because it's your behaviour. Your behaviour comes from who you are. I think uh, the truism, I'm not sure who said it, but I think it is a Christian truth that says, uh, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. And what Jesus is saying to the, those who are responsible for the temple, you people... The temple is here. It's meant to be a place of prayer for all nations. It's meant to be a place of relationship. But you've turned into a place of technique, of religion, of seven steps to having a happy life. The first and most important question, if you want to make a difference in the world is not what are the seven steps you should follow, but who are you? And what fruit is your life producing? And what Jesus was trying to help the, those, the, the, the leaders of Israel understand was that it's about relationship. It's not about technique. And this is what... It, 
for us, as we look at the disturbing things happening in Palestine, the disturbing things happening in the Ukraine, as we look around the world at all the things happening, and as we look in our families at some of the things that are happening in our families where things are not going as we want them to go, or here in Hobart, the question is, what does it mean to be people who bear fruit? What does it mean for, to be people who come from relationship? Jesus tells us, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus curses the fig tree because it's not bearing fruit. And I, I, I think it's, it's really important for us to be honest, to take a long, hard look at ourselves. So how, what kind of fruit is my life producing at the moment? I haven't told a lot of people this. I actually hit, I hit, I've hit a few crises in my life. I've probably shared some of them with you. But I, I still remember sitting on my bed with, I, we uh, had little toddlers and things and a lot of energy around the house. But I remember sitting on the bed and reading uh, this passage and another one about, uh, I think in Luke, about where Jesus talks about fruit and that if you don't bear fruit the consequences are pretty serious uh, and I just had a sense that I've been so busy about God's work that I hadn't been hanging out much with God pretty dumb isn't it and as I as I was reflecting I realized I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me Matt It's not about working hard. It's not about your, your clever strategies and plans. It's about relationship. And if you're going to try and do it with your clever strategies and plans, the consequences are actually going to be fairly serious. And for me, that marked another... There have been lots of times... My life. I don't want to make it sound too dramatic, but there's been several times in my life where God's had to call me back from being self-centred, and that was one of them. And I think, as, as we look at a broken world, I was having a chat with a mate of mine this past week. He was saying, "What do I do with my life? What, what's my, what's the purpose of my life?" Well, I think what Jesus is saying here is it's it's actually fairly simple. Love me and love people. If your life is lived on the basis of relationship with God, you will love other people and your life will produce fruit. Now, Jesus will, will pick up a bit more of these themes as we, as we go through, but... Uh, the disciples come to him and say, wow, that was a pretty neat party trick. You spoke to that plant and you killed it. Uh, I, I actually have that gift too. I kill lots of plants. <laughs> uh, 
mostly unintentionally, um, but not in the same way, obviously. Uh, and, and Jesus takes this moment to be a teachable moment. So the first, our first response to living as followers of Jesus in a broken world, to be, to be people who make a difference, is to be people who love God, and because we love God, are people whose lives exhibit fruit. The second is this, that Jesus is about to teach us. He says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what is done, was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain. You notice he's not saying to a mountain. He's, being, to, he's pointing at a mountain. To this mountain. Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. What is Jesus doing with his life? He's coming to step into the most complex question that humanity will ever face. He's coming to make a way in the wilderness, a path to the God of the universe for humanity. Many Bible scholars, not all of them, it's not absolutely clear, but it is interesting, it says this mountain. Where was Jesus heading? He, he was actually heading to the temple. We're about to find out. It's quite likely he's pointing to the temple. The temple mount which was a massive edifice at the time. And, he, and it's, it's quite likely what he's saying is this whole corrupt system that is getting in the road of relationship, if you have faith, faith is what that's meant to be producing. He's saying your task as a follower of Jesus is not to avoid the difficult questions. Not to avoid the questions of what's happening in between Israel and Palestine right now. Or what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. I, I'm so grateful that Jenny's faithfully... 40 years, Jenny's been fighting for East Timor and West Papua. Some questions are big. Israel thought they knew what the question was. They thought the question was Rome. They thought that what they were looking for was a Messiah just to come and beat up the Romans. Jesus reframes the question, says, no, you're missing the point. But what he's saying to us here is if you've got faith, the world can change Mountains being thrown into the sea was a common Jewish idiom at the time for something that means big or impossible. Now, when Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, one of the, let's, let's be honest, if you've hung around Christianity for a bit, you'll have bumped into a, a kind of, a brand of Christianity that says God is your ticket to get what your ego wants. And verses like this have been taken out of context to say that. 
where uh, they'll say, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can get a Ferrari. Just visualise. You ever come across people who talk about visualising things? Just visualise it, manifest it, and it'll happen. You'll get your Ferrari. Uh, that's dangerous. Because in that, can you see what's happening? It's a, a, a naming of your own ego needs. The, the Greek word there for doubt isn't about whipping up enough belief in a Ferrari or whipping up belief in something you want. The, the whole purpose of what Jesus is saying is uh, this is about God's will. And the Greek word for doubt there refers not to a certainty that God will give me what I want, but rather to a divided mind that is focused on me and, and not God. Here Jesus is saying, your task is to work out in faith. What's God saying? And to step into the complex questions of the world in prayer, in the Spirit. And be open to God's answers. Jesus is saying prayer changes the world. The, the second way we are invited to change the world is to pray. To pray for the things that don't have simple answers. The Jewish people have been praying for years that the Messiah would turn up. And here he is. It's not the simple answer they thought it was going to be. But here he is, the answer to all the questions. I, and again, when, when Jesus says, if you believe, it's not if you believe in your Ferrari. If you believe in your, the boyfriend you want or the girlfriend you want or the, you know, it's not you deciding what God, it's not you manipulating God to meet your ego needs. What Jesus is saying here, and this is so important for us, he's saying, don't avoid the difficult questions. It's really easy when the world is looking broken and painful. It's really easy to look the other way and spend your time watching TV or avoiding difficult questions. I want to invite you. We, we know that God is inviting us to take prayer more seriously as a church. I don't think our prayer life as a church is where it needs to be. Particularly if what Jesus is saying here is true. And I have a stinking suspicion it might be. N.T. Wright, uh, one of the authors that I really value, says the Christian vocation is to be in prayer, in the spirit, in the place where the world is in pain. To step into the most complicated questions facing humanity, just as Jesus stepped right into the middle of the most complicated questions facing the world and the cosmos. 
not to avoid them, but with one hand to grab hold of the complicated questions. And in the, with the other hand, hold tightly to Jesus. Have you noticed that it's, it's much easier to avoid thinking about the complicated questions? It's much easier not to think about the little kids being hurt in Ukraine right now or what's happening in Palestine. It's much easier. This is a great challenge for Jenny. She says she's been faithfully fighting for the West Papuans for 40 years. But it's easier, if you can't find a quick fix, it's easier not to think about it. And in talking to her, he was, Jenny was saying to me, uh, that she's had a number of young people come and get enthusiastic and then when it gets complicated, get fresh guidance. I understand that it is our task, what Jesus is saying here, you want to change the world? Learn to pray. Learn to pray in faith. Learn to seek God's heart. Step into the most complicated questions and be prepared that as you do that, God may actually invite you in to taking action, to doing things. This afternoon there is a prayer time at the cathedral at three o'clock for peace in the Middle East. Every week we try and get together for prayer on Zoom at 8pm uh, and, and we try and pray for the more complicated things going on. I, I do think God is calling us to pray. So the first way we make a difference is to be in relationship with Jesus and bear fruit. The second way is to step into the complicated places in prayer in the Spirit and be looking for God, what's on your heart? How do you want us to pray? And then we get this little story as the Jesus is there in the temple courts and he has his authority question. They, the uh, chief priests and the elders of the people come to him and say, by what authority are you doing, doing these things? But the these things, my guess is, refers to, you know, kicking out the money changers, healing people and teaching. And, and they're wanting Jesus to give an account for his actions to them. They want to be the arbiter of what is good and what is right. One of the realities of the world we live in is that the world will want to tell you what is good and what is right. The, the world has an agenda for you. It measures what success looks like. This world measures success normally in dollars and cents or in power or influence or in beauty. And you'll have people come to you and say, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you giving so many hours to Girls' Brigade? That's crazy. Why are you organising packs for prisoners? 
Why are you caring like you care? Why are you spending hours and hours fixing a leaking roof? Why are you fighting for West Papua in a, in a cause that is hopeless? I love Jenny's answer to that question is, yeah, so was East Timor. You'll have people who want you to prove to them that what you're doing is legitimate. Jesus doesn't accept the premise of these question, of their questions. And one of the things I've noticed, Christians in the public sphere mostly get into trouble and are most unhelpful when they're answering the questions that people ask them on, their, on the terms of the, people, the questions that people ask them, when they get stuck into the wrong kinds of debates. Because the, the reality is, if, the, if, the, if Christians are giving simple black and white, yes, no questions, answers to, to, to complicated questions, we're doing the wrong thing. Because the moment we get stuck in ideas, we are no longer seeing and loving people. And so Jesus doesn't get stuck in ideas, but instead he turns a question around on the Pharisees and says, okay, happy to answer, but let's, let's reframe the question a bit, shall we? And usually, usually if you're going to engage with the world, you're going to need to reframe the question because the question will be wrong. But too often we're fighting about the answers. And so Jesus says to them, so John, where did his authority come from? And we get to the crux of the third question in terms of what does it mean to change the world as we see what not to do. As the chief priests and Pharisees get together and they say, what do we do? If we say that God was not behind what John was doing, all the people are going to crucify us because they liked him. But if we say it was from God, then Jesus is going to say, well, why aren't you listening to him? Because John said about me that I am the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. So, uh, so what was their answer? They, they actually lied. Because, and it actually says, because they were afraid of the people. They lied because they were afraid of the people. The third way we change the world is by having our agenda set by Jesus and not by the people. The world will not understand people who are motivated by the love of God. But too many of us are looking for validation from others, getting our sense of okayness from our relationships rather than our sense of okayness from Jesus. Now, this is not a reason not to have fellowship. Jesus is absolutely, we need fellowship. This is not a recipe to be a lone ranger. But your sense of okayness should never come from another person. 
you're okay because Jesus loves you. And if your agenda is being set by keeping other people happy rather than by following Jesus and his plan for your life, you're going to miss the great adventure that God has for you. So Jesus invites us. Not to avoid the messy reality that we face. This week, as you leave here, as you walk through this coming week, you're going to bump into people who are in pain, whose lives are complicated. Your task is to hold tightly to Jesus and let your life bear fruit in keeping with his life. And as you do, to not turn away from the painful moments, the painful things, but to step into the place of pain in the power of the Spirit, holding tightly to Jesus, but also holding tightly to the pain. And as you do that, you discover you're living a cross-shaped life because that's what love looks like. And then like Jesus, don't live your life worried about other people's validation. but get your sense of okayness from the fact that you are a child of God. You are God's masterpiece. And you are called to be his agent in a broken world. I was just listening, or actually just reading a, an early church document from about 300, about 300 uh, AD, about uh, a few, a few, just a couple of centuries after Jesus was born. And what the writer said was, as the soul is to the body, so the church is meant to be to the world. And if our world is looking a bit soulless, then maybe we need to take Jesus' words a little more seriously. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge there are things happening in the world, in our lives, in our communities that we just don't have the answers for. And, it, and let's, if we're to be honest, it's easier to turn away. It is far easier to look away. Sorry. Jesus, for the times we have. You call us to step into those places of pain with you in prayer, in faith. You call us to live lives 
that produce fruit and to live lives whose agenda isn't set by pleasing everybody around us but set by you. Help us be open to all you have for us, Jesus. Help us have the courage not to look away but to look to the pain and look into your eyes and because of who you are, know it's going to be okay. We need your help. Please lead us forward. Amen.